So we're going to jump into our message now. And to begin our message, I want to ask you, are you someone who prefers to plant cabbages or oak trees? Are you someone who prefers to plant cabbages or oak trees? That's a bit of a strange question, uh, but this actually came up. We uh, did a training a few years ago where all of our churches of Christ pastors were gathered together and we were talking about leadership together and this question was raised. Are you more interested in planting cabbages or oak trees? And I found it a very, very helpful framework to think about because when you plant cabbages, you plant something and you get pretty instant results. You can see them, they're right there. You can pretty much see it growing day after day, certainly week after week, and you get to harvest the results of that very, very quickly. That's awesome. But what happens after a little while? It ends up bolting or shooting, and then you can't have it anymore. So we don't grow cabbages at home, but we grow lettuce, and that's exactly what happens. We plant the lettuce. Within a couple of weeks, we're able to harvest that, and that's great. But our lettuce, I just pulled a whole bunch of them out on Friday, have all shot, all bolted, completely useless. They're all bitter now, and so we throw them out. You contrast that with the idea of planting an oak tree. It's a much, much longer-term perspective. It's not something where you're going to see instant results. It takes a very long time for the tree to grow and to grow and to keep growing. But over time, it becomes this enormous thing that's really, really strong and really stable and also produces acorns, which means that if you wanted to, you could plant more oak trees. And so there's an opportunity to be able to multiply the work that you're doing. And so it's an interesting thing to think about. When we think about the things that we're involved in and the things that we're passionate about, are we focused on planting cabbages where we can see some instant results but they're not necessarily going to last a long time? Or are we focused on planting oak trees that are going to be there for the long term and may be able to have a multiplying effect? Today, as I said earlier, we're starting a kickoff series where we're going to dig into what it is that God wants to plant in and through us as a church family this year. Over the next few weeks, we will unpack the core things about who we are, Jesus-centred spiritual family, and seeing lives change. And as I mentioned, we're going to do that by looking at a couple of passages from 1st and 2nd Corinthians. So uh, hopefully you grab some teaching notes on your way in. You can grab those and jot things down as we go through today's message. And you can also open your Bible up to 1st Corinthians chapter 3, because that's where we're going to go in a couple of minutes. Important to talk about the context of the letter to the Corinthians. It was written by this guy named Paul, who was one of the key leaders in the early church. Uh, Paul was someone who had had a radical encounter with Jesus and was caught up by the message of Jesus and went around city to city, helping other people to discover that message. And as he did that, he then tried to gather people together in these little communities that we now call churches, the opportunity for people to be able to spend time talking together about what it meant for them to be able to follow Jesus. Paul would then move on to another city and another city, but he would stay in contact with either the whole group of people or certainly a bunch of the leaders from each of those key churches in those key cities. And so quite a bit of what we have in the New Testament are the letters that Paul wrote to the churches in those cities. So Romans is written to the church in Rome, Ephesians is written to the church in Ephesus, and Corinthians is written to the church in Corinth. And it's really, really staggering to recognise that these letters that were written 2,000 years ago into completely different cultures, completely different contexts, still have something to say to us in our context today. It's really, really amazing when you stop and think about that. And I've always wondered what Paul would write if he was writing a letter to us in the church here. 
he was writing the letter to the Adelaideans or the letter to the Brooklyn Parkians to talk to us about some of the things that we were facing as a church. Think about some of the things that are a part of our reality, that we're in an urban context, so we're in a medium-sized city, we're not in a massive city, but we're not in a small town either, and we're certainly not in a rural context, but we're in an urban context, and so there are some very specific things about what it means to live in a city. We've got all of these challenges about the changing secular culture that's around us, and what does it mean for us to be able to fit in with that culture, but at the same time not compromise the message of Jesus? How do we make sure that we stay relevant without compromising who we are? We know that we live in a culture that's very split in lots and lots of ways. There's lots of division, lots of people attacking each other and very quickly people end up taking sides based on their political leanings or their preferences or things that are going on and very quickly that escalates into things that are far from civil and quite unpleasant. We live in a culture where lots and lots of people are searching, wondering who they are. What's my purpose? Where do I fit in this world? We're in a culture where lots of people are exploring spiritual things but don't necessarily have a religious background. They may not have grown up or had any experience in the church whatsoever. So they're exploring spirituality but without the frameworks that have often been there in the past. We live in a city and a culture where we've got lots of people who come from different nationalities and different backgrounds. We're trying to find out what does it mean for us to be able to blend all of that together. And we live in a culture that's very consumeristic, where we're constantly bombarded with messages about if we buy these things, then our life will be better. And where the temptation is always there for us to seek pleasure, often not necessarily in the most healthy or helpful ways. If you're wondering what it is that Paul would write into a culture like that, that's what's awesome about the first and second letters to the church in Corinth. Because a lot of people would say that Corinth was probably the city that most resembled a lot of our modern cities. A lot of the issues that were going on in Corinth were exactly what I've just said. An urban context, challenges of a changing secular culture, and what do you hold on to? Where do you adapt? Lots of divisions with people splintering off in all sorts of different ways. People wondering, what's my place? Who am I? How do I fit in? A culture where lots of people are exploring spiritual things but coming from all sorts of religious backgrounds or no religious background. People who are coming from all sorts of different nationalities and cultures and trying to find out what it meant to be able to blend all that together. And lots of people who were seeking comfort. What does pleasure look like in the context of the city in which I live? That's the context that Paul's writing into in Corinth. And so a lot of what we have in these letters is really, really helpful to us because it speaks directly into our culture as well. And so in Acts chapter 18, we have the story of Paul connecting with the first people in Corinth. And uh, just for interest's sake, if you were around last year, we did a series called Blueprint where we walked through the book of First Thessalonians. And so Paul going into Corinth actually follows on directly from the experiences that Paul had in Thessalonica that we unpacked. And so as a reminder, if you ever want to dig into our archives or watch the most recent message, then go to our website on the front page. Uh, you have the video. You can watch the most recent video. But if you click on the YouTube button there, you can go to our YouTube channel and you can go back and watch any of the messages from the last couple of years. Or if you're a podcast person and you would prefer to listen to the audio, then you can go back and listen to them that way. So Paul ends up, we see in Acts chapter 18, connecting with these people in Corinth and then he continues to move on and he ultimately ends up in the city of Ephesus. 
And it's our understanding that this letter was written uh, probably in about AD 54 to 56 is when Paul was there. And that's really important for us to remind ourselves about. This is within a generation of Jesus' life, death and resurrection. These are not letters that were written a few hundred years later to try and retrofit things back in based on where the church had gotten to. This is Paul's lived experience with a group of people, some of whom would have had very direct contact with the stuff that was happening around Jesus' life, death and resurrection. So it's very, very helpful to us. But we do need to say one quick caveat. It is still a letter that was written to some very specific people in a very specific context who were going through some very specific things. And in lots of Paul's letters, he does end up addressing some things that are very specific. And so one of our challenges always when we're reading scripture is to slow down and be able to say, okay, which of this is applicable into our context and which of this was directly related to just what was going on in their circumstances then? And so the passages that we're going to look at over the next couple of weeks are going to help us to be able to unpack some things that are relevant to us today. So that's enough intro background. Let's have a look at what he says. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting at verse 1. Paul writes, Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people. I had to talk as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants in Christ. I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger. And you still aren't ready, for you're still controlled by your sinful nature. You're jealous of one another and quarrel with one another. Doesn't that prove that you're controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living like people of the world? When one of you says, I'm a follower of Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, aren't you acting just like people of the world? Paul doesn't pull any punches in some of the things that he says. And can you imagine being there in the church in Corinth when this letter was read out, because that's the context in which it would have happened. And so we gathered together to hear this awesome letter that Paul's written to us, and that's what he says. Do you know what? You're not actually ready for anything deeper at all. You're kind of like little tiny babies, and all I can give you is milk. You're not ready for solid food yet. You can't chew it up. So I've got to just keep things really, really simple and really basic for you. Seems a little bit harsh. Particularly, he says, you're still controlled by your sinful nature. And we often unpack what this word sin means. We recognise that the word sin means to miss the mark. In its original context, that was the word that was used. And so we often use the illustration of a bullseye to unpack what sin is. That when you think of archery, you're aiming for the bullseye. And any time that you miss the bullseye, you've missed the mark. That's where this word sin comes from. So the question then is for us, well, what's the bullseye that we're aiming for? And we would say the bullseye is to love perfectly 100% of the time. That's what God's heart is for us. That's what God's desire is for us. That's what God created us for, that we would love perfectly 100% of the time. And so anytime we don't, that's sin. Anytime that we miss that bullseye of loving perfectly, that's sin. And so another way of saying that is that sin is selfishness. The opposite of other-centered love is selfishness. And so anytime that we pursue something that's selfish, that's sin. And so if you think of any of the things that you would class as sin, Probably, if you trace it back far enough, it ultimately comes back to what's in it for me. How do I win? How do I get my way? How do I get what I want? Selfishness is sin. And so Paul says, you're still controlled by your sinful, selfish nature. And in particular, he unpacks that by saying that you're jealous and you quarrel with each other all the time. 
Doesn't that prove your sinful, selfish nature? You're jealous. I want what that person's got. It's not fair that I don't have what they have. I'm jealous. Or quarrelling. I want my way. I want to win. I want to be right. And so we go back and forth at it. And he then drives it home because he says, when you are saying, I'm a follower of Paul, or, well, I'm not. I'm someone who follow Apollos, another key leader in the early church. You're showing that you've missed the whole point. Now, this is something that Paul's already talked about at the beginning of the letter. So if you go back this week and have a look at chapter one, you'll see that Paul raises this. In his first comments to them in his letter, he says, the whole reason that we're here is to live in harmony with no divisions, to be united together in thought and purpose. And so he says, it's not about Paul versus Peter versus Apollos or anyone else. In our context, if Paul was writing to us, he might say it's not about Nate versus Phil. Or he might say it's not about Church of Christ leaders versus leaders from other denominations. Or he might say it's not about following the teaching of this person on TV or whose podcast that you listen to or whose books that you read versus this other school of thought or this other type of leader. At the end of the day, we follow one person. Any guesses who that might be? Jesus. (laughs) We follow Jesus. It's not about this person versus this person. It's all about Jesus. And so many issues that happen in churches end up starting from this point. One person's perspective versus another person's perspective. One person's preferences about styles of music or about the colour of the chairs or the colour of the carpet versus somebody else's perspectives or preferences. One person's programs over another person's programs. And it starts out innocently enough. We're just kind of working out what's the way forward. But ultimately, we start to divide off and jump into camps. And we start to want our way. Say, no, no, I want my preference. I want my program. I want my priority. And then we get into fights where who do we align with? Who's right and who's wrong? And ultimately, and I'm sure many of us have sadly had these experiences, it degenerates to a point where we can't talk to each other anymore. We can't stand each other anymore until some people end up leaving. And sadly, so often, a lot of those people end up leaving the church altogether. They don't just go to another church, they're just gone. We also know that over the centuries, this is how denominations were formed. Did you know that there are over 30,000 denominations in the world? Just think about that for a minute. 30,000 denominations. And the vast majority of them started because of something like this. A split decision about something. I don't like your theology on this, so we're going to go and do our own thing. I don't like the way you're responding to this thing, so we're going to go and do our own thing. And a new denomination is formed. And then more splits and more splits until ultimately we are where we are. Part of what I love about Churches of Christ is that the very heart of our movement from the very beginning was to say... We disagree with that. Our focus as a movement is saying there's one church and they follow Jesus. End of story. And all these divisions, that's not right. That's not the way that it's supposed to be. Can't we all just centre ourselves on Jesus and move forward together with a heart for unity? And so Paul says, if you want to know a key marker of maturity in your life, it comes down to whether you pursue love and unity, or whether you're pursuing selfishness and arguments and jealousy and disunity. 
And the key thing that helps us remember what it looks like to move forward in maturity is to recognise who we follow. That ultimately, it's all about Jesus. If we can put aside our preferences and our priorities and all those other things and just focus on Jesus, then we've got something to look at to be able to move forward together. Paul says in verse 5, After all, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? We're only good God's servants through whom you believed the good news. Paul says, it's not about me and it's not about Apollos. We're just the ones who had the privilege of being able to share this awesome message about who Jesus is and what he's done. That's all that we are. Jesus is the important one here because he's the one that you decided to follow. And he takes that further in the rest of verse 5 where he says, Each of us did the work that the Lord gave us. I planted the seed in your hearts and Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. The one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose and both will be rewarded for their hard work. This is a beautiful picture that Paul paints for us. He says, I planted some seeds. Sure, that's great. And then Apollos came along and he watered those seeds. That's really, really great as well. Each of us had a different role to play and that was complimentary. That's awesome. But at the end of the day... Let's not forget that God's the one who grew the seed. That's the important thing to focus on. It doesn't matter who did the planting. It doesn't matter who did the watering. We're all working together for the same purpose, to let God grow things. And that's our focus as a church. It's a great reminder as we begin this year that our focus is to work together to create an environment where God can do his thing. That's why we're here. We're going to unpack that more over the next few weeks because we believe if we plant seeds that are all about what it means to centre ourselves on and follow Jesus, who he is and what he's done, and we do that in an environment that resembles the best version of what spiritual family is, a place that's full of acceptance and authenticity and encouragement and being able to support each other, if you pair those two things together, then things grow. God can do the work that he does. I'm sure many of you have had the same experience as me over these last couple of weeks about what happens when things are planted in the right place and you get the right amount of nutrients, boom, it all explodes. I mowed our lawn on Friday for the third time in two weeks because it just keeps growing. And then while I was out in the garden, I picked all of these tomatoes, all of them just on Friday, bucket loads worth of tomatoes. This is what happens when you plant things in the right place and they get the right nutrients, they grow. That's awesome. It's so great to be able to see and to be able to watch. That's what we believe as well. That if we plant the seeds that are all about centering ourselves on Jesus and we create a really healthy environment for people to be able to explore what that looks like, then God does what only God can do. Changes people's lives, brings transformation in and helps us to be able to grow. Paul says in verse 9, For we are both God's workers, and you are God's field. You are God's building. We are God's field. We are God's building. We get to build on all of the work that's been done in the past, all of the clearing that's happened in the field, all of the planting of things that have happened over the generations. 97 years here at Brooklyn Park Church of Christ 
And then with us being able to bring in all of the wisdom and experiences and resources from Western communities last year. As we begin the year, we want to express our gratitude again about all of the seeds that have been planted, all of the watering that's been done, all of the nutrients that have been poured in to enable things to grow to get us to this point, all of the faithful servants who have done God's work decade after decade after decade that mean that we're here today. As we begin this year, our challenge is then to think and pray about what we sense God's wanting to plant and water as we begin a new year. Yes, we have an amazing history. We have an incredible legacy, an amazing foundation that we get the privilege of being able to build on together. So what do we want to do with that? More importantly, what does God want to do with that? What are the seeds that God wants to plant in and through our church family this year that are going to bear fruit, not just in the short term, but in the long term? What's the watering and the nutrients that we need to pour over things that are already established, that are already sprouting so that they can continue to grow as we move into another year? And again, what is that image for us? Are the things that we're planting and watering cabbages or are the things that we're planting and watering oak trees that are going to be there for the long term and be able to multiply? I want to give us an opportunity to be able to do some reflecting on that. We have some background music on, an opportunity for you to be able to just pause and ask yourself, what do you sense that God is wanting to plant and grow at Brooklyn Park this year? What do you imagine? What are the dreams that you have? What do you sense that God wants to plant and grow in and through our church family this year? And as you think about that, you might also want to think about what your role is. Are you someone who's a planter? Are you someone who's a waterer? Is there another role that you've got to play? What do you sense that God wants to do in and through our church family this year? Take some time to reflect, and then we'll come back and we'll pray together and transition across the communion.
Before we pray, just want to mention that on the back of our teaching notes each week, uh, we have some discussion questions, and those are questions that can get used in our different connect groups that we have, um, but if you would ever like to just get together with someone and have a coffee or give someone a call and have a chat, it's a great way of being able to dig in a little bit further to some of the things that we're exploring and uh, to be able to think a bit more about how you apply those things. So those questions are always on the back of the teaching notes, and you can feel free to use them, uh, but if you'd like to get connected into one of our connect groups, they're all getting up and running, and so feel free to come and have a chat. I'd love to tell you more about that. Let's pray. Jesus, as we begin this year officially, as we begin our ministry year for 2022, we declare again that this is your church, that we follow you, Jesus, and we're excited about what it means to be able to continue to discover that the seeds that you have and want to continue to plant in our lives and in our church family together and that you have and are planting in the community around us. As we begin a new year, we ask that you would build our sense of expectation and excitement about what it looks like to be able to follow you. Help us to understand and value all of the things that we have inherited, this beautiful field that you have planted us in. But we pray that you would open our eyes to the vision of what you've got for us for the years to come that we would be able to take the best of what is who we are and use that to be able to see people's lives changed. Help us to know the new things that you want to plant in our church. Help us to know the new things that you want to plant in our lives, in our relationships. Help us to know the things that you want us to pour water over, to pour nutrients into that are already established, that can keep growing. And help us to have a sense of what the long-term trajectory is of those things. Our desire is that this year gives us an opportunity to move forward together as we centre ourselves on you, Jesus, as we come together as a spiritual family and as we experience your transformation in our lives. So we pray that you would take us and you would lead us where it is that you want us to go this year. In your name we pray. Amen.